Amen. Good morning. What a good looking group of folks this morning. Well, thank you. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 this morning. Mark 11, verse 27, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Before we get into the message this morning, let me give a brief announcement about announcements, as I did last week, that in a couple of weeks, we're not going to be giving announcements from the stage any longer. We're going to be really encouraging you to not just use your bulletin as a fan or something like that, that you really need to absorb the information in your bulletin that you get and make sure that you get one and make sure that you go to our website because the way you're going to be able to keep up with what's going on and what's coming and what's being planned and all of that is by availing ourselves of that information in the bulletin and on the website. We just do not want to continue to sort of quench the spirit by uh, giving announcements either right after worship or even at the end of the service. Now again, because we're sort of grandfathering some things in, uh, last week we had a very short promo of the men's retreat at the end of the service, and today we're just going to have a one-minute promotional video of the Greg Laurie crusade that's coming to Phoenix in June that our church is going to support and be a part of as well. And uh, so that'll be today at the end. But coming very soon... Uh, No more announcements from the stage. All right. Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 27. Again, let's remember that the purpose of Mark's gospel is to evoke from the reader a lasting response in word and deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. And today, this passage sort of lends itself to being reminded again about the true identity identity of Jesus Christ, because this passage today, beginning in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, is all about the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed from the very beginning to have unique and unparalleled authority in his life. And we even see that in his early days of ministry. As he began to go into the temple or the synagogues and teach and preach, people would say, oh my goodness, he teaches as one having authority, not like our other teachers do. In other words, there was something very different in in Jesus, in the way he presented himself and the way he carried himself from the very beginning. And part of that dealt with his authority. Notice with me, In Mark chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says they came again to Jerusalem. And the reason why that's significant is we saw last week as we talked about fruitfulness, that this is right on the heels of Jesus going into the temple and basically driving out the merchandisers and the money changers and really upsetting things in the temple area. And yet Jesus is right back, right where all that happened again. You and I would have probably avoided it. Jesus goes right back there again. And the Bible says, while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the experts in the law, the elders, all the great big muckamucks of the Jewish religion, as I like to say, going back to my childhood days of watching cartoons, all the big grand poobahs of the day are there, okay? And they're upset with Jesus. 
And they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Verse 28. Or who gave you this authority to do these things? How dare you? Who do you think you're, you are? You didn't attend our schools. You weren't sanctioned by us. You don't have our blessing. Uh, why are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? That's the key to the whole passage today. They're questioning of Jesus's authority. Now, I want to give you sort of a a quick outline of the entire passage we're going to look at. And then I want to come back this morning and share some principles that uh, I think we can glean from this passage on their questioning of Jesus's authority. You'll notice that after they asked this question, that Jesus says to them in verse 29, well, I'll ask you a question. Answer me this and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. John's baptism, or literally John the Baptist's ministry, was it from God or was it just of men? Now, the religious leaders are like, oh, can't answer that question. Because the Bible goes on to say, well, if we say it was from God and we didn't recognize it, we're in trouble. And they didn't. They, they didn't accept or recognize John the Baptist's ministry. So if they say, well, his ministry was of God, then they've got a problem. But you'll also, as you read along at the end of chapter 11, they've got a problem if they say it's a people. Because there's all these people around in the temple area who supported John's ministry and who believed in it. And obviously, as these great religious leaders and political leaders who don't want to offend anybody, they don't want to upset all this big group of people. They're, they're sort of afraid of them. So they say, we don't know. The typical fence sitter who doesn't go one way or the other. The problem with Jesus is, if, if you say there's a problem with him, is he doesn't allow any of us to sit the fence when it comes to him. We have to make a response because, again, of who he is. He demands a response. In fact, even by not giving him a response is obviously a response. So because they weren't willing to answer his question, he says, then neither am I going to tell you by what authority I do these things. And beginning in chapter 11, verse 27, all the way through chapter uh, 12, verse 12, you have in this passage where Jesus is showing his authority over the Jewish religious leaders of Israel. That's what he's doing. I have authority over you. You're not the authority. I am the authority. Well, then beginning in chapter 12, verse 13, down through chapter 12, verse 17, we see where Jesus shows his authority over Rome, the Roman Empire. And again, not that a state or a nation does not have authority. It's simply that God has the utmost or primary authority even over governments and nations and states. And this all takes place because, again, these people are trying to trap Jesus and trying to fool Jesus and trying to, you know, trip him up in some way. So they bring to Jesus thinking, okay, we've got him now. They bring to him uh, this question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar 
or not. And their thinking is, ah, we we got Jesus here. Because if Jesus sides with Rome, then obviously all the Jewish people are going to be upset with him. But if he sides with the people, then obviously we can take him to the Roman authorities and say, you know, he's, he's an insurrectionist and he's a troublemaker and we can get rid of him that way. So they think they've got him. And you notice something very interesting. The Lord of glory doesn't have a dime on him. You, you notice that here. Because he has to ask somebody for a coin. He doesn't have any money. He says, hey, can somebody give me a coin? Somebody gives him a coin. And here's his answer. He says, look on that coin. Whose, whose image is on the coin? And the answer was, well, it's, it's the emperor's image. And so Jesus in this, again, masterful answer from the master says, well, then if his image is on that coin, then use that coin within the boundaries of the state and nation for what it needs to be used for. But he says, things that are imprinted with the image of God, they belong to God. And what he's really saying is, do you realize as human beings that you were created in the image of God? God's image is stamped on you. So therefore, you should be God's. And that trumps the authority of Rome. Rome has some authority over them because they live in that empire and they have to use their coin to navigate life and buy and sell. But God has way much more authority than that. He has authority over their very life because he's their creator. So authority over the Jewish leadership, authority over Rome, Then beginning in chapter 12, verse 18, we see that Jesus has authority over the law for this reason. The Sadducees, a group, a sect within Judaism. And you'll notice there in verse 18, we are reminded that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. I was like, come on. I never tell jokes, you know. That's so uncharacteristic of me. So I thought I'd throw one in and see how I, that's why I don't tell them very often. A little biblical humor today. Anyway, and the reason why the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection is because their authority was simply the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all the Old Testament they believed was authoritative. So in their mind, we don't see any proof that there is resurrection in those first five books. Therefore, there can't be any resurrection. And then they come to Jesus trying to ask him this philosophical question, basically, to try to show him how stupid it is to even believe in the resurrection by using the law. It's sort of like one of those questions like, can God make a rock too big that he can't pick up? Or how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And all these ridiculous questions that really never get anybody anywhere. But they they try to sound very intelligent by all these, you know, questions. But really, they have no meaning to God even. It's like, who cares? That, That doesn't mean a thing. And that's where they say, well, here's the problem, Jesus. Moses said, if, if, a brother, if a man's brother dies, leaves a wife, no children, the man must marry his widow, father's children for his brother. In other words, so, so 
If, if they get married over and over and over again and they would happen to get resurrected, isn't that going to create some big mess up there in heaven? Jesus goes, you guys just don't get it, do you? In fact, notice his response to them in verse 24. He says, aren't you deceived for this reason because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? Wow. Now think about who Jesus is saying this to. He's saying this to some of the Jewish religious leaders who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. At least they thought they did. They didn't know the Bible or even the first five books of Moses as well as they thought they did. You ever come across somebody like that as a Christian? Another Christian who really thought they knew the Bible pretty well and then the more they talk, the more you realize they really don't know their Bible as well as they think. I run into people like that all the time. They think they know the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches, but they really don't. Which is why we have to make sure that we are being accurate and correct in our interpretation and understanding of the Word. And Jesus is saying, if you truly heard what Jesus said, even in the first five books of Moses, you would know that resurrection was taught there too. Because he goes on to say that that God said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Not I was. In other words, it's not past tense. Like, well, because they're dead now means he's no longer their God and that they're no longer living in some way. No, Jesus saying, God said, even in the first five books of the Bible, that they are still alive. They still exist. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they've been dead for a long time, they are very much alive because there is something after death here on earth. And he is still their God. And so at the very end of this passage, notice he says in verse 27... He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then he says, you are badly mistaken. Not just mistaken. You are bad. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, you guys are way off base. Way off base. You're trying to use the law to prove that there's no resurrection. And you don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus is showing here his authority over the law. Then finally, I want to take you to the very end of the passage we're going to look at this morning, verse 41 through 44, where we see that Jesus has authority over our lives. I love this story. Then he sat down opposite the offering box. We have an offering box. Some people who come today say, how do we do our offering? Well, we have an offering box. Where do you get the idea for an offering box? Right here. Offering box. Now, I do... How uncomfortable would it be for somebody to just sit back there and watch people put their offering in? Yeah, that'd be pretty weird. I'd even have a problem with that. That's... But the reason why Jesus can sit there and literally watch people put their offering in the offering box was because he has that right. See, everything that people give, we only have because it came from him. Therefore, he actually does have that authority. 
And I love this. Jesus is sitting there literally watching people put their offering in the offering box. And notice what it says. Many rich people were throwing in large amounts. And yet this poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. And he calls his disciples and says to them, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the offering box than all the others. He is pointing her out because he wants her, his followers to understand this woman lives under my authority. She gets it. All these other people don't get it. Why? Because he says, for they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in what she had to live on, everything she had. See, one of the things that we learn in this passage is when you and I truly live under the authority of Jesus Christ, we will be humble, unlike the religious leaders. We will be selfless, sacrificial, and most of all, like this Poor widow, fearless, fearless. We will do what God has called us to do because God has called us to do it. And we acknowledge and accept and recognize his authority in our life and we do it. And then trust him to work it all out. We don't try to figure it out in our own human reasoning and then go, well, God... But I think I have a better way. I think I know better than you. No. That's not living under nor acknowledging or recognizing the authority of Jesus. So with that sort of outline of the entire passage, I want to go back again to this question that the religious leaders had for Jesus in chapter 11, verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And I want to talk for a moment about this whole concept of the unique and unparalleled authority of Jesus Christ. And what is our response to that authority? Let me share some of the things that Jesus said. He made some pretty audacious claims. First of all, he claimed pre-existence. He said in his earthly ministry, before Abraham was, I am. Basically, I've been here before Abraham. I've been here always. I am the great I am. Then later on, he basically claimed divinity to be God. He said, my father and I are one. Now, after both of these instances, if you read those in the Gospels, you will see where the religious leaders of Israel literally try to kill him at that point. The Bible says after both of those statements, they pick up stones and try to stone him to death, but he escapes out of their midst. Jesus even claimed in the Gospel of Matthew, the end of chapter 7, that our eternal destiny as human beings is all bound up in our relationship to him. I mean, that's, that's a lot of authority. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, the day of judgment, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works? And Jesus says, I will say to them, I never knew you depart from me. Jesus claims not only 
to always have been, not always, not only to be God. He claims that every one of us as human beings, our eternal destiny is based on our relationship to him alone. That's a lot of authority. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that or not? What is our response to that? And here's how I see it. The only two logical responses to Jesus' claims is either I totally reject Jesus' claims and his authority over my life, and I live as if he has no authority, That's at least logical. Or I say, no, you know, he's right. I believe he's the son of God. Which, by the way, that's the way Mark's gospel starts out. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's the creator and sustainer and Lord of the universe. I believe he's always been. I believe he's God of very God. I believe that my eternal destiny is based on my relationship to him. And therefore, because of his true identity... I listen to everything he says. I do what he tells me to do. Because do you see how even illogical it is for us to say, I believe, Jesus, that you are who you claim to be, but I don't listen to you half the time. I do things my way most of the time. You see, it's actually more logical to totally reject the authority of Jesus Christ and say, I do not believe who you claim to be, Let me run my own life. That's at least logical. The the, the thing that doesn't make sense is when we as Christians, especially, say, oh, Jesus, I believe in who you are, but I still run the show. I I listen to you only when it's convenient. Uh, I listen to you only when it makes sense to me. Only when it's convenient. But you don't have absolute sway and weight and authority over my life at all times. That that, that then, I I don't even understand how a human being can rationalize that. Because either he is who he claimed to be or he's not. And that's where Jesus is coming from here in this passage. It's something you and I need to think about. When it comes to the weight the influence, the authority that Jesus has on our lives. Notice something else. In this passage, we learn that our response, though, to Jesus has no effect on who he is or his authority. In other words, if every human being that was ever born rejected Jesus, That does not diminish from his glory one bit. Who he is and the glory that is his is not added to by us worshiping him in any way or it's not detracted in any way when we refuse to accept his authority or his glory or anything like that and acknowledge it. No way. We worship God. We come to church and do these things for our benefit, not for his. We need him. He doesn't need us. And that's what the word of God says. Notice in chapter 12, verse 10, a verse that I'll come back to in just a few moments. 
The Bible says, have you not read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, it didn't matter that the religious leaders of Israel rejected their Messiah or that as a nation, Israel rejected their Messiah. He still has become the cornerstone. He's still the cornerstone, whether men acknowledge it or not. He's still the Lord of the universe, whether any of us ever acknowledge it or not. It has no bearing on who he is. I think sometimes we think we add something to God or take something away. No, we can't do that. He's beyond all that. That's what makes him so glorious. That's what makes him so full of wonder and majesty. The reason we come and bow before him and worship him and love him and live for him and serve him, and it's for our benefit. We need him. And we've got to get to a place where we truly understand our need of him and staying in touch with him and staying connected to him because he could have lived for all of eternity without us and been absolutely fine. You and I can't live a second without him and be absolutely fine. Something else you see in this passage. Rejection of Jesus' authority leaves any of us as human beings vulnerable and susceptible to everything. I want to repeat that because that is so important, especially in this day and age where, for the most part, people, nations, societies, our world as a whole rejects authority of all kinds. Because authority over the years, even that I have been alive, has eroded from our society, our homes, our churches, our schools. Because people, for the most part, dismiss and reject authority. And yet God designed his universe to to function in an orderly way only when we acknowledge authority. Paul even said to the Romans, there is no authority except that by God. And therefore, we better learn to live under authority. In fact, I love what Jesus said to Pilate when Pilate says, Don't you understand, Jesus, that I have the power to have you crucified? And Jesus looked at Pilate and said, You would have no authority at all unless my father gave it to you. That's authority. That's authority. See, when you and I reject God's authority, then we become victims to everything instead of victors. We allow things in life to overwhelm us rather than become overcomers. Because by not accepting or acknowledging the authority of God in our lives, we literally become vulnerable and susceptible to anything and everything. Notice how these religious leaders that are supposed to be such great leaders are so insecure. You ever, you see that? They're so insecure. They're like threatened by Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth. Why are they so threatened? Because they refuse to acknowledge the authority of God. Therefore, they live very insecure. Somebody's going to take this from me. Somebody's going to steal this position from me. Because they don't acknowledge it. Isn't God in control? And isn't he the authority? See, when you and I, even as Christians, 
When we reject the authority of God, all of a sudden, we become vulnerable and susceptible to anything and everything around us. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, we, we, start, we start living life by what if, just like they did. Well, Jesus, what if, in, if the resurrection is true, then what if this happens or what if that happens? You and I begin to live that way when God's not our authority. And so many people today, especially what breaks my heart, is so many of those who profess to be Christians live that way. As if somehow, you know, everything's just random. There is no ultimate authority that's governing the universe, that's supervising everything and guiding everything. And that somehow God is not on his throne and not in control and doesn't have my life and doesn't have my back. And I'm just out there just sort of fending for myself. And I'm at the mercy of anyone and everything around me. No. That's the way people live who reject God's authority. But notice that when you and I are willing to accept God's authority in our life and live under it, that brings great stability and security to our lives. Think of the poor widow who threw the couple of pennies into the offering box. She was fearless because she was, God was her authority. And she had just that childlike trust that God's going to, Take care of me and take care of it. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. That's acknowledging authority of God in our lives. And when you and I do that, listen, surrender to God's authority in our life brings freedom. It brings freedom. Again, then we're not, we're not subject to all these other things that we think we're subject to. The only thing we're subject to is God's authority. And if we're subject to God and to his authority, then we don't have to be subject to anything else. When you and I live under the power of God, that's the only power that we need to be subject to. Everything else should not have any power over us. But we allow those things to whenever we stop acknowledging the authority of God. And we've all been there. I've been there. That's why I can teach so passionately about it. I've been there when I thought my future was in some human being's hands rather than God's hands. I admit that. I've been there. And then I go, well, that was pretty foolish of me. Because if I believe in the true identity of Jesus Christ, if I believe that he sustains the universe, that he knows when a sparrow falls out of the tree, that you know, he keeps all this stuff going, that he created it all, that he's the Lord of glory, then why do I not think somehow that I'm susceptible and vulnerable to this or that? And that's why... Jesus wants us to get to a place in our life where we live under his authority. It will free us. We will be free from all the worry and care and anxiety and stress that we live under every day when we truly accept and acknowledge the authority of God in our life. That's why. It's again, it's for our benefit. But if we choose to take that authority on ourselves or give that authority over to somebody else, then we're beholden to them or to us or to something or someone else. 
And that's not the way God wants us to live. I also want to say this. We are not only called as followers of Jesus Christ to live under God's authority. We are also called to live by his authority. Remember earlier on in the Gospel of Mark, before Jesus sent out his disciples to minister, the Bible says he gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons, and to minister in his name. He delegated his all authority to them so that they could go out in his authority and live and minister. And he does the same thing for you and I. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, we call it, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority is mine. Now you go, go make disciples in my authority. Baptize in my authority. Teach in my authority. Live your lives with my authority behind you. How would our lives be different if we lived that way? As a preacher, I love what Paul said to Titus. He said, Titus, you communicate these things from the word of God and you do so in such a way that it carries full authority. Don't be like these religious leaders who are so fearful of people because they do not acknowledge your authority that they're afraid of offending somebody and driving them away. You teach my word even if everybody walks out on you. In fact, I'll just say this right now. I think most of you know me well enough to know that I'm at a point in my life where I will teach the word of God without compromise. And if nobody ever comes to the oasis, if we have to close the doors, I'll still be somewhere teaching the word of God. Because I'm not going to be afraid of offending somebody. Because I want to live under God's authority. I don't want to be like a lot of these other pastors who have become fearful of offending people and maybe pushing them out of their church because they want their money, basically is what it is. That's not living under God's authority. Living under God's authority brings fearlessness. And we should live by God's authority every day. You and I, every day we wake up, we should realize God's authority is with me today. And everywhere I go and everywhere I move, I have the authority of Christ backing me and behind me and beneath me, supporting me. I love what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. Remember, he went to this man and this man, this beggar, was crying out for help. And Peter fastens his eyes on him and says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have... I'll give you, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. Because Peter knew he had the authority of Jesus Christ. That's living with Jesus' authority. We've got to, as Christians, stop being so cowardly and, and, and weak. We do not go out into this world except with the authority of Jesus Christ himself in us and with us every moment of the day. 
And our lives need to begin to reflect that we not only are living under his authority, but we are living by his authority. One other thing. The Bible clearly teaches that one day, one day, everyone in the universe will acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2. One day, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is not, again, whether Jesus is the Lord. And you'll notice in Hebrews, or excuse me, in Mark 12, 10, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We do not make Jesus the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. Any more than we don't make Jesus the Lord of our life. He is the Lord. The only question is whether we're going to acknowledge it or not. That's why I cringe every time I hear pastors or ministers or evangelists or even other Christians say, will you make Jesus your Lord? No, he is the Lord. You and I don't make him Lord. We simply acknowledge him in our lives as Lord. And one day, every human being, every angel, every demonic spirit, everything and everyone will acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. The only question is, will we align ourselves under his authority now? Because I want to leave you with this from Mark chapter 12, verse 10. The word cornerstone is not just a title for Jesus Christ in the Bible. It is a word that describes his authority. Because you and I need to be reminded that the cornerstone was the first stone that was placed in the construction of a building. The very first. Every other stone took its alignment and and, and its reference point from the cornerstone. And Jesus is saying to us, am I your cornerstone? Are you aligning your life in reference to me? Is everything coming from you centering yourself on me? Because Jesus actually makes it really simple for us. Our problem is we try to fit all these other pieces of our life, this puzzle that we call our life, we try to fit all these other pieces into place, find all these places for all these different things, and that's why we get so stressed and frazzled and everything, because we've got a bazillion things going on, and we try to fit them all in. And Jesus says, I can help uncomplicate all that. You just take your life, and you align it, to me, your cornerstone, then you don't have to worry about anything and everything else. They will find their proper place by you aligning yourself with me, your cornerstone. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. 
Seek first or pursue above all other things the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added. They'll find their proper place if you and I align ourselves properly with our cornerstone. Well, the only way Jesus is our cornerstone, personally, is if he has ultimate authority in our life. Where his word carries weight above anything and everything else. Where what he says has more influence on us than anything or anyone else. That's when he's our cornerstone. That's when he's our authority. And that's what you and I need to ask ourselves. That's what we as a church need to ask ourselves. Are we as a church aligned with our cornerstone? We need to make sure that we are. In fact, every one of us need to make sure because the only way any church is going to function properly is when every last stone, living stone in that church is lined up to the cornerstone. Then everything has its place and finds its place. Same thing is true in a home. If Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of a home and every last person in that home family unit is aligned to the cornerstone, then everything fits in place. But when one person in the home is lined up to the cornerstone and the rest aren't, then the home doesn't function the way it's supposed to. See, the only way everything functions in our life is when everyone and everything is in line with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Is our life aligned with Jesus today? One other question, and then we'll close in prayer. How differently would my life look if Jesus Christ were the ultimate authority of my life? How different would my life look if Jesus Christ was the ultimate authority in my life. Let's pray. God, we have been confronted with serious truth this morning. Truth out of the lips of Jesus himself, who claimed unique and unparalleled authority. We must respond to that in some way. What will our response be? Will we accept his authority and say, Jesus, you're the priority? It all flows from you. You call the shots, you're the greatest influence. Your word carries the most weight. Or not? What will it be? What will it be for us as a church? What will it be for us in our homes? What will it be for us individually and as a society? Yet knowing the truth that one day, Even if every human being would turn their backs on Jesus Christ and reject him and his authority in their life, one day, and it's coming, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord Jesus, that you alone 
our Lord. God, may we acknowledge that today. May that be reinforced in us today. We don't make you Lord. You are the Lord. May we simply acknowledge that in our life and accept that in our life today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? As we sing this last song, I know every last one of us could say, well, my life is not in total alignment with Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to ask today that we would all just sort of examine and allow the message today and the Holy Spirit to take his word and to use it in our life however he needs to, to sort of go through sort of a, a realignment, if you will. Maybe there's an area of my life that's really out of alignment with Jesus being the authority of my life. And I need to bring that back in line. Whatever that looks like in your life and my life today, let's use these precious moments we have today to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to bring you back as the authority in my life. I want to align my life in line with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ.